To support our work at the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show, and you will get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up at Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. Hi, I'm Mortada. And I'm Izzy. And this is the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show. Welcome back to the show. Um, This is our first show in June. So happy Pride, Izzy. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. June, Uh, what a month. It's hot already. It's too hot. (laughs) It is too Too hot hot for me. Uh, and we are going to have maybe a couple of things for Pride. We're in the planning sessions for at least one, maybe two Pride-specific episodes. We're going to have mm-hmm. some wonderful guests who are going to talk about some prideful things. And Izzy and I will also talk about some things we love and take pride in. But not mm-hmm. this week. Um, to ease <laughs> us into Pride Month. The opposite gonna... of Pride. It's the opposite. Shame. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the NSA, American surveillance, the FBI. Oh, God, all things I don't want to talk about. Um, but we'll also talk about HBO and it's not TV or it, it's now called Max. It's not HBO. It's Max, I guess. It's Max. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> so, Izzy, what's our movie for the week? All right. So today we are talking about reality, which many of you will simply know as the movie that Sydney Sweeney is in that you might have been seeing going around. Uh, I will read you a quick summary. It is about a former American intelligence specialist who is given a lo- the longest sentence for unauthorized release of government information to the media about Russian inf- interference in the 2016 United States elections via an email operation. Um, so this is actually based off of a play. It's kind of a chamber drama Murtada, you actually saw the play. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I did see the play. um, And the play had a much better title instead of reality. Reality is a bad title. It is a bad title. Um, The play was called Is That a Room? Which is a much better title, but it's also a line in the movie. You know, when the FBI Mm -hmm. guy, um, they take her into, they're interviewing her in her house and they take her in to this other room and there's a door and he's like, is that a room? Um, So the play was fucking fantastic in that, um, first of all, it it was um, directed and written by Tina Satter. Is that her name? The, Mm -hmm. who also did the movie. So it's the same person, um, the same sort of the, same filmmaker slash playwright who did both. Um, What I liked about the play, it was the most uncomfortable and claustrophobic I have felt in a Broadway theater, I think, all my life. And also, um, it was one of the very first plays I saw right after we were allowed to leave our homes uh, post-vaccine and pandemic. (laughs) 
<laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So all of that sort of, I don't know if it was that or if it was the play itself, but I was in the middle of the row and I felt so claustrophobic the whole time and I just wanted to leave. But I think the play is very successful in that the stage is intimate and it was a small stage. It was intimate. And the and the story is about her being interviewed by these two hulking FBI guys. And the, the way that, that they choreographed the interview was amazing in that she felt dwarfed by them. And that mm-hmm. claustrophobia sort of transferred to the audience. I was very unsettled the whole time. And I think the play does that um, maybe better than the movie, that feeling mm-hmm. of claustrophobia, that feeling of somebody just, you know, being on top of you, trying to get something out of you. And you, you know, and she's not like at the beginning, she's like unsure and then she's afraid. And then like she, as she realizes the extent of what they they um, they want from her. So, so I thought the play was pretty amazing. So maybe we should rewind and like tell exactly how this whole thing plays out. So um, essentially in, I think, 2017, the FBI came to this woman's house. Her name is Reality Winner. That is her real name. And um, they essentially recorded their entire interaction with her from meeting her in her front yard through interrogating her about um a document which they suspected she leaked to the press um and so this is like an hours long word for word transcript um that the i guess playwright got a hold of and um condensed into a hour and a half ish play so all of the dialogue is ripped straight from the actual conversations that reality had with these fbi agents and like everything that was happening during that day so it's like oh can i you know make sure my dog is okay. Like there's, I think they're one of the cool things that I liked about it is that there are little moments like that, or like the FBI agent has a sinus infection that are things that are just true to life and obviously mm-hmm. happen all the time, but you very rarely see because they're just kind of in inconvenient or irrelevant for playwriting. <laughs> like you yes. just don't write someone having a random cold all the time. Yeah. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting and really effective. But what was like, what I'm still torn about, I think, is the way that they make it clear that all of this is transcribed word for word. Mm. So because throughout the film, they'll have like a waveform of an audio file that'll show you like, oh, yeah, we're recording this. Or they'll have the transcript being typed out so that you can see like, yeah, they're saying exactly what's in the transcript. And it kind of happens again and again. It's like a recurring motif. And I think maybe halfway through, you kind of see what the point of the transcript was um, when things start to become redacted. Mm -hmm. But most of the time I was like, I I feel like we get it. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I understand that this is a transcript. You told us this. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to be the guy who's, who keeps comparing the movie to the to the stage. So especially when we're t- just talking about yeah. the movie and the movie is the thing that most people listening would have watched and can watch right now on Max, HBO, whatever. But I thought that was very effective in the stage show because... It well, was I was wondering of... how they did it. So in the stage show, they would show you the transcript sometimes, sometimes on the board, but the most effective things was like, when there was something redacted, the actors would stop 
talking, mm-hmm. even in the middle of the sentence. And like a noise would come like a bell. And it was like, you know, those, you know, those, um, um, it felt like one of those um, shocking, like you're shocking a dog, you know, when a dog has the invisible fence mm-hmm. and they're trying to run out and yeah, they're yeah, shocked yeah. by it. So it felt like they were shocking yeah. us like that. And whenever, because it was like this loud noise, it would just go beep. And you're like, Ooh, and you're like shocked out of like, you know, whatever it is to sort of like, and that added mm-hmm. to the sort of the unsettling element of, of of that show. And I thought it was very effective, but I guess they couldn't really replicate that in a movie, which is why. Um, yeah, they, they glitch out. They literally disappear. Yes. I mean, I guess it was a glitch. It glitched too in the in the show, but it felt like um because of the noise and because of the the actors, mm-hmm. they would stop and all of that. It felt like you're shocking the audience, like just giving them a nudge, an uncomfortable nudge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I liked it as a device for sure. Yeah, but um, then I was also like, I don't know if this is the best thing, but yeah, yeah. I I think I get it. Like you know, they tried to open this because because the show is just like. It just starts with the interview. So this is, there's a little bit of like, you know, they start with her in her office. There are a couple of flashbacks to her in her office. There is like mm-hmm. um, things like that, which obviously you can't do on stage. But I think maybe the fact that it's just the transcript, um, maybe they should have changed the transcript a little bit or modified it for the movie. Because the movie was the transcript and the way that they talk, which is, exactly how they did but to your point that is not always that engaging and so in the movie and it could be that I'm at home I'm not watching this in a big screen which we'll talk about um but I just didn't feel as engaged with this film as I was engaged with the stage show and I I blame the dialogue slash the transcript well I thought like there were moments where I had to remind myself what probably the point of what was happening was (laughs) (laughs) And I think that is a consequence of just being at home because um, so there's the scene the where they're standing in the front yard and it's before they actually start interrogating her and they spend probably 10 minutes with very boring small talk of just like, oh, where did you get your dog? Like, what kind of CrossFit do you do? And I was like, this is so (laughs) it was hard to watch. But then I realized it's because. A, those conversations are annoying in real life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. um, you know, two people who clearly just like don't even want to be talking to each other. And then there's this other underlying layer of just like a very intense situation mm-hmm. that could see one of them going to prison. So it's just it's very intense and you really want the the conflict to move quickly. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where I realized, like, the transcript is preserving that tension and that mm-hmm. awkwardness of having to, you know, entertain these FBI guys in your yard when that's the last thing you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. So I liked it, but like, it, I, th- I found it like intentionally frustrating. Yeah. And I think a good way once I was kind of thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, it's trying to make you as uncomfortable as reality probably was, right? Um, mm-hmm. And from that perspective, I think it um, it was successful, um, maybe. Um, yeah, it, it weirdly reminded me of um, our conversation about Jean Dillman because it was like playing with time in that way, 
where you're yeah. just like, oh my God, <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe we have to be here for this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. Um, don't don't be here for reality. Will that be our headline? If you were writing a headline for this review, Izzy, let's do our bit. What your headline? What will your headline be? Oh, reality faces reality. <laughs> <laughs> that's I don't know. Good, that that's a good one. That's maybe some that will make. I, that's probably that's like New it. York Post. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, mine would be maybe. Um, be something like Sydney Sweeney continues her reign on HBO or slash Max. Oh I yeah. I mean, that's an actual good headline. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about Sydney Sweeney. I personally do not know her really from beyond white Lotus. I've never mm. watched euphoria, um, but I get kind of the sense that she, that the white Lotus and then euphoria types were, were her type like young kind of mm -hmm. messy and emotional. And yes. this is a little bit of a, of branching out for her. Yeah, that totally. Sense of it? That is my sense of it. And I, you know, it's so funny because she got a lot of press last year when it was announced that she was going to do a remake of Barbarella and everybody was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and and Jay Fonda was like, why? <laughs> yeah. And at the time people were like, well, is she just going to continue doing the same thing? Not that Bar Barbarella is the same as Euphoria, but it's sort of playing into that sort of like sexy kitten thing that she plays on Euphoria. And I watch Euphoria. I enjoy Euphoria. I enjoy Sydney Sweeney on Euphoria. I think the... Um, as well as Zendaya are giving two great performances. And sometimes I'm like, who's the best performer? And sometimes it's Zendaya, sometimes it's Sydney Sweeney. So it is a showcase for her, especially this last um, this last season. But also like when that Barbarella news came out, I think what we didn't know is that she probably had already shot this. So as far as a sort of career... Shot reality? Shot reality, yes. Yeah. Probably. Or at least it was in the works. So as far as a career sort of swerve or trying to change the conversation about her and about her performances, about her persona, Barbarella would not have changed it much, but I think this has. So this is more of, I think, an astute, mm. smart change to sort of go, this is the opposite of her work in Euphoria. It's very understated. She is... As de-glammed as she, as she can be in this movie, which is mm -hmm. basically she's maybe wearing um, invisible makeup. I don't know. I don't know about makeup. Sometimes I will say, oh, that person is not wearing makeup. <laughs> yeah. um, and my husband who runs a makeup company will be like, oh, they are. It's just you can't see. And I'm like, all right. So maybe it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's invisible makeup. But anyway, it's as, my point is that she, it's as de-glammed as she has ever appeared on screen. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, very. I well, I liked what you said earlier about it feeling claustrophobic and her feeling very small. Um, because I don't know, I, I don't think I've ever like thought about her height or anything like that, but you could feel that in the scene, the way it was directed, how tiny she felt compared uh -huh. to those agents. And not like one of them was like pretty muscular, but the other one was just kind of a normal dude. Yeah. But he still felt very towering and intimidating compared to her, even though she's, you know, framed as this very strong, physically strong and Cross. also mentally pretty Cross intelligent all. person. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I think... thought that was that was interesting and smart. 
Yeah, she she really, I think it's a good showcase for her. It's like a good performance. And it's one of those things where she's the center of it. And in it, I mean, she's in the whole movie and the whole movie is about her, even though the other two men are also in the whole movie with her. But kind of like you're always looking at her because you're trying to see her reaction because she's the one who's sort of telegraphing to us what is happening in the Like, we don't care about the mm-hmm. FBI agents. We know what they want. Um um, and it's it's it falls to her to sort of take the audience along the emotional ride of of the character. I think it's a really good showcase yeah. for her, and probably because she had such a good relationship with HBO um, that they bought this movie because the movie is was independently financed. It went to Berlin. It wasn't in competition, but it was one of the in the sidebars. It got good reviews out of Berlin, and everybody was like, "Oh, is this?" Sydney Sweeney's Oscar bid, um, but I guess it's her Emmy bid because then it was bought by HBO. Which it's, it's, sometimes it doesn't make I mean, sense. Is that how that works now? Can something premiere on HBO like straight to streaming and not be eligible? I mean, I guess it needs a theater. It needs oh. a, a theater release for See, I mean, H- but... exactly. But HBO and Netflix are the same thing, really, as far as the audience is. We yeah, exactly. Gonna, we're going to click on our computers or our TVs and watch whatever is on Netflix or HBO Max and it's the same thing but just because Netflix will play it for a week in a theater that movie becomes eligible for Oscars and HBO because they were a TV channel they don't do that so it becomes Emmy eligible which doesn't make any sense right um yeah I think it's kind of ridiculous but also I mean this is exactly the kind of thing that doesn't garner um film award attention even though it should it reminded me of um mass did you see that when it came out a couple of years ago yes i did see it yeah which it's kind of a chamber drama similar yeah. yeah it's just kind of like you're in one room the whole time and it's people confronting each other about something that's happened um and that i thought had some of the best performances of the year that year it's so funny while while I was watching this the movie that that I kept thinking of is Maria Full of Grace which was a movie that appeared um I think it was in 2004 and it was sort of an independent movie that was also financed made it to a festival in this case it was Sundance it had the central performance from a rising star Catalina Sandino Moreno and that movie made it all the way based on the performance made it all the way to the Oscars and she was nominated as Best Actress. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Sydney Sweeney sort of, um, it's a different, there's a different in like difference in like the status of the actor, but I think she has even more status, you know, Emmy nominated, hit TV shows, that this is the kind of movie that maybe if somebody else had bought it would have went the Maria Full of Grace um, route and based on just the performance and then it would be like somebody would buy it and they'd be like well our business case here is a best actress oscar nomination which has happened mm. several times as you know there are movies that we don't even remember now like i can rattle some tumbleweeds yeah. janet mcteer that was only a movie that because that is remembered for getting janet mcteer best actress oscar nomination even somebody like you know, um, Julianne Moore and still Alice. Their whole business case was Julianne Moore can win an Oscar. Let's make, let's release this movie. 
boys don't cry. Which... Although it is like it is Julianne Moore compared yes. to Sydney Sweeney. Totally. Very different. Totally. Yes, which is why I started with Maria Full of Grace and Tumbleweeds. But it is sort of that yeah. those sort of smaller movies that can have a case to exist. Because as we know, Best Actress is almost always sort of isolated. And the movies that are in, in Best Actress will only yeah. get nominated for Best Actress. I mean, like Andrea Riseborough. Is this movie worse than Andrea Riseborough's movie last year? <laughs> There's a case. I like this better than that. I like yes. this better than that. Yeah, totally. Um, Me too. <laughs> and but I do feel like there's kind of a, an inherent difficulty in making something that's um, political and also as modern as that is, or as contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, because so often it's really hard to get past the political message of it and to like find a human, interesting story underneath those things. Because it it feels very soapboxy often, like in the way Bombshell did. Yes. Um, But I don't think that this feels like that. It's very focused, I think, on her. Mm -hmm. And less on, like, I don't think it really has that much to say about um, Russian interference or anything like that. It's mostly just like what, why this girl decided to leak this information. And that's it. Yeah, I never thought of the politics of it all, but also that's maybe because, um, like, my politics are clear, um, and I, I never questioned it, and I think it's sympathetic to her, and so I was sympathetic to her, yeah. too, and so that's why I didn't think of politics, but I don't know if somebody, you know, has different politics and would be unsympathetic, unsympathetic to a character like this, just on the basis, like, oh, they're a traitor because they you know, um, release yeah. this information. I think people do feel like that. Yeah. What yeah, would they sure. feel about this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of, I don't, I think it kind of gets tipped over the balance in her favor, in my opinion, in a good way. At mm-hmm. the end when she is, it has a recorded phone call of her talking to her sister and she says, like, they weren't really even interested in, like, what I leaked or why, you know, what I said. They just, they just wanted to know why I did it. And I thought that was interesting because that did feel like really the thesis of the film, even though it's a transcript. It just kind of it really does feel like a very focused story mm-hmm. about, like, this woman kind of getting tipped over the edge and mm-hmm. not for reasons that felt like so overtly political. She she says, like, I wasn't trying to be a Snowden uh it really is just like her being in this moment and having access to this information that she felt like was necessary and makes the decision and that's it i mean i'm gonna bring the the stage show again um so we the the stage show we went to was actually the last performance of is this a room ever and so i think this the show was written in an effort to bring light on the situation because she was still in prison while it was written and, and started being performed. And by the time we reached this last performance, which which we attended, she was in house arrest. And so after the show ended and, you know, the director and writer came out and with a, um, a laptop and a Zoom call and there was a reality winner in her house arrested with all um and they had a you know a very short conversation 
but it sort of made made that stage so more urgent because basically what they were trying to do is to get her out of house arrest and to have more people sort of see what it had done to her, you know, how she feels about it, why she did what she did and what and how, you know, incarceration, you know, transformed her life in in ways and how 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 can the audience then help end that incarceration so i think it's just the stage show from all these perspectives just felt urgent which is why i felt this movie was sort of like maybe if it came out i don't know a couple of years ago or something when people were still concerned about the russia interference in the election yeah it does feel like another time doesn't it yeah totally um and it just feels like such a uh, you know an afterthought unfortunately, despite the good work of Sydney Sweeney. And, and and also, you know, I was thinking about contrasting reality with that kid who just got caught leaking information. Did you read about that? Yes, yes. The kid. Where he was literally just like about Ukraine, showing off right? to his friends. Yeah. yeah, he was just showing off and like stealing documents and putting them on Discord. Yeah. Like just, this little asshole. Just to say I'm important. To this woman who's like. Yeah, who's like, oh, actually, maybe the American public deserves to know this information versus like, let me sabotage the Ukrainian military effort for clout. Yeah, and I think there is a note in the film that I wish they made a little bit more of it. There is somebody who says the information that she leaked is now being used by everyone to Mm -hmm. sort of shed the light on the election, to try to win political points to try to say what is happening. And in all of that, so they use this information in way that she leaked in ways that help people's causes, that help, that help, that politically push, push the conversation forward. But she was never kind of given credit for it. Um, and it was sort of like that part is forgotten at all. And I hope the movie, I wish the movie would have explored that a little bit more. But, it yeah. also makes you wonder how many other things are like that, like how much information is being withheld that would completely change how everybody thinks about politics as it stands. Yeah. And yeah. we just have no clue. There's a lot of that, yes. Yeah. How encouraging to think about. Yeah. Um... So as as it stands right now, who would you award Best actress? Would you give it to Greta Lee for Past Lives? Would you give it to Sydney Sweeney? Um, I would give it to Greta Lee um, for Past Lives. I think she's she does wonderful work, and I think the movie works better because of her performance yeah. than than here. Um, and so, Past Lives is out now. If you haven't seen it yet, you should go see it and then listen to our last la- episode last week about it. Um, do you last, agree about Greta? Past Lives? Yeah, that's what I would have said too. <laughs> sure um so one thing i wanted to bring to talk about is the costumes in this film there are only like three or four characters but i thought the mm-hmm. costumes were spot on and maybe because i don't know did they we base have the them? pictures yeah they based them on the pictures right so i was josh hamilton plays one of the fbi interrogators um you might remember him as the dad from eighth grade from a few years ago that was also he gave a very good performance in in that movie he's really good here as this sort of like amiable guy, as if an FBI agent can ever be amiable, but he's just trying to fool you into thinking he's amiable. And I thought his costuming, like the sort of cheap khaki with the 
kind of shirt with short sleeves that it's supposed that it's supposed to be formal but not really formal because the sleeves are kind of awkward they're not long they're not short it just sort of like <laughs> tells you exactly puts you in like exactly a place of who that character is where he works what he might be doing you know it gives you an ex- yeah. an um a glimpse into his whole life just based on how he's dressed and so I just thought the costumes were just spot on but maybe it was just because they were based on the pictures <laughs> no yeah it's exactly what some dude would wear that he's never thought about what he's wearing in his life ex- yeah totally um and also uh, I thought you know what I thought was so funny so they have the picture in they show Sydney Sweeney leaning against her house and she's wearing the white button down and the jean shorts and the yellow converse yeah and then they show you the actual picture of reality from that day and she's doing and wearing the exact same thing and but like the photo looks like it was taken in 2008 I was like what camera were they using on this day in 2017 that this photo looks so old and just like yeah. worn down it was I was like what is going on but it sort of fits the anyway. profile right they probably just didn't buy a new camera as long as that camera is I would working. think that the the FBI would be invested in good fi- crime scene photos but I don't know I wouldn't be able to identify that woman if I saw that photo apparently they are at Izzy that's so funny um <laughs> <laughs> one thing I want to talk about a little bit and maybe is Sydney Sweeney herself and sort of like as a star um I think because she is a rising star she did that interview yep. I think it was last year when she was um, double Emmy nominated for The White Lotus and for Euphoria. And she did that interview, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter, where she was very frank about money, which you never see stars talking about. And she she Mm -hmm. sort of talked about how, you know, she has to pay managers, agents, publicists, makeup people. And that means she doesn't have that much money. They're not that rich. Yeah, Yeah. really not that rich. Yes. (laughs) Yeah residuals on tv don't work as much as they used to so she's like the white lotus Mm -hmm. i just got paid for it it's not like i'm gonna get paid again as every time you watch it so that sort of i think added to this sort of like and then of course she does all these um photo shoots that sort of basically she is a barbarella in photo shoots in magazine photo shoots like a sex kit right and that sort of yeah they try to yeah the image that you know is it the magazine people or is it you know whoever's behind her career that's trying to sell but she in the way that she talks about things sort of presents a completely different image and to me that makes her one of the more interesting younger stars just for sort of how she talks about the industry I would agree with that I don't know too much about her like personally um I mean, I remember like outrage when um, the internet found out that she's like related to Trump supporters or something. And everyone was like, why aren't you denouncing your family? I think it was her mom. (laughs) Yeah, it was something like that. It's just like, okay, um, I get it, but also calm down. Uh, But I think that's interesting too, because it's like, I just feel like so many people who are becoming famous, especially on HBO right now, Mm-hmm. are nepo babies they're <laughs> just like yes. people who've grown up around the industry and are just like have a very specific clean um practiced image mm-hmm. and i like that she kind of makes mistakes and is kind of trying 
or I don't know if that's that's not a mistake, but you know what I mean? It's like a little bit messy sometimes and it can kind of feel like it's constantly iterating and trying to find her footing of what she wants to do and what she's being asked to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like that. I like that she seems like someone who's going to evolve a lot as opposed to other, you know, younger actors who seem like they're kind of getting stuck in a little bit of a box. Yeah. And as somebody who reads the gossip columns, I just love that she always sort of like, you know, you mentioned the thing with the Trump slash her mom's birthday. There was something there. And recently Mm -hmm. there was another scuffle where she is making a movie with Glenn Powell from Top Gun. And there was something. Oh, no, they have chemistry. (laughs) Yes. Something about him breaking up with his girlfriend. And I'm like, she's just that this is just her job. Why are people thinking that she broke up him and his girlfriend or whatever and even if she did it's like let's not pretend that this isn't the kind of thing everybody's obsessed with in classic hollywood yeah totally it's like you can condemn it all you want but you're enjoying it i know we are (laughs) i know we all are totally i'm totally enjoying it and i actually the classic hollywood thing is what i was gonna say that she reminds me a little bit not in her performances or in the way she looks or in anything just in her tabloid life of elizabeth taylor Like she's somebody who's Mm -hmm. always like in the tabloids, but also somebody who's good at the job and somebody who's a little unvarnished and will say things that other people won't say. So I kind of like like that about her. And it makes her an interesting personality as much as being an interesting actor. Yeah, I'm interested to see what these next couple of films are like for her. I did really like her in The White Lotus. I liked her a lot in this. And I think Barbarella is going to be a completely different third thing. I mean, if they keep to the spirit of the original Barbarella, which I I don't really know that they will do, but... It would be um, hard to do a, to that in well, a very setting. Any, any attempt at camp now is just like bad yeah <laughs> so, totally so I don't know if they're going to bring that kind of like silliness that the original one has but if if they do then that's a completely different thing than what she's already done so like it just seems it seems like she's really trying to find ways to constantly challenge herself yeah which i really admire yeah me too um my prediction for barbarella is i think it's it's not gonna happen there are so many movies that are announced and they never happen and i think that's gonna be one of them somebody's you know do you remember what studio that was I don't remember now, but somebody is going to read that script and we'll just take the green light away. If it even reached green light, um, green light status. Yeah, I just I mean, I feel like it's hugely risky from a content perspective now, mm-hmm. like in, like a sexual content perspective, because it's just that's so much raunchier than anything that's coming out now. The original one. Yeah, and maybe they're waiting to see how Barbie does before they do Barbarella. Not that it's the same thing, but it's close. No? No. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so, but whatever, whether it's Barbarella or whatever, I'm excited to see what she does next. I think she's um, she's good in this film, although I maybe don't like this film as much, but that's probably influenced by how much I um, like the stage show. But I have a question for you, Izzy. Um, uh, listeners mm-hmm. to this podcast um, will know um, that you don't really like biopics. Um, I vacillate. <laughs> sometimes I like them. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Um, in our conversation with Isaac Butler two weeks ago, we all had fun, you know, talking about this, as yeah. you termed it, the Scrooge of biopics. So yeah, I want to ask. Oh, the Scourge. 
<laughs> I love it. I don't know how to say that word. Uh, I'm not cutting this. I'm leaving it in. But anyway, my question to you is, this is sort of a biopic, but you seem to have enjoyed it mm-hmm. more than usual. Tell me why. Well, I don't I don't think of it as a biopic in the sense of like what I classically think of as a biopic. It is it is based off of a real person's life, obviously. But I think the thing that annoys me about biopics typically is that we look for mimicry mm. more than we do like invention in what somebody is doing. And so like, you know, when we see Rami Malek strutting the way that Freddie Mercury did in the same outfit, and we can look at that and be like, oh my God, he did such a good job. That's exactly what that looks like. And that's Mm -hmm. generally how people are judging a performance. And then it kind of also has a lot to do with like how a story is being told. So often it's really difficult to put the totality of someone's life and what they mean to culture into a two-hour story. And so often things get condensed or shifted around in ways that can be unfair or boring Mm. or typically that do very little compared to like reading a Wikipedia article. Like you usually get (laughs) essentially that much information into one film. And that's very boring to me. With this... Obviously, we are using her exact words, but we don't know reality. Like, we don't know how she delivered those lines compared to the way that Sydney Sweeney did. Like, I feel like there was uh, something that Sydney Sweeney specifically was bringing to that role that she had to come up with herself because we don't have, like, in the way that we all have seen that Princess Diana interview a hundred times. So when Elizabeth Debicki does it, we know, like, whether she's doing a good job. Like, nobody knows that recording, that FBI recording of Sydney Sweeney to be like, oh, well, her intonation was a little a little different there than the original <laughs> of realities. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. So I do feel like it was slightly different and it is obscure enough and um, required enough invention that it didn't hit the annoying points that i usually hate about (laughs) biopics yes um yeah i see i see exactly what you're saying yeah Mm -hmm. um and it's also you know not you know cradle to grave it's just a couple of hours in this woman's life but probably the most significant 90 minutes of her life exactly so far yeah hopefully she'll have happier more significant moments um, I do the think they're so life. much more successful when they do that. Like Truman is really good or Capote. Sorry. With yeah. um, Phyllis yeah. Seymour Hoffman. Oh, that one. Yeah. The performance is also just so amazing. Um, yeah. Even though he is doing the mimicry, he's doing the voice, he's doing the everything, mm-hmm. but it is a performance that rises above just mimicry. Um, yeah. I, you know, usually I don't mind the biopics. Um, I'm somebody who enjoyed Austin Butler as Elvis and Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye. So no one, <laughs> no one to speak here. But um, I I like it when somebody gives a little bit more than the mimicry. And I think both those actors, even though I don't think other people gave them credit for that, Chastain and Butler gave mm-hmm. me more than just mimicry. Um, but anyway, yeah. we don't need to go into that again. <laughs> yeah, I, I could literally rant about it all day. It's sad (laughs) i need to get a life so Um, do you recommend reality 
I do. I think it's very quiet. Um, it's not going to change your life. I don't think, I think if you're already mad about the U S government and the intelligence apparatus, you know, I don't think it's going to inflame it too much. It's all kind of, we've heard a lot of these stories before. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a good example of like what a small drama can achieve and definitely something that like you would wish would have been released in theaters maybe mm-hmm. like 30 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Something or even 15. Yeah. Just like these kind of movies aren't made that much anymore. And yeah. I like them usually when I see them. So yeah. I would recommend it just to kind of keep in touch with that form of drama. Yeah. And that was my point earlier when I said, you know, it reminded me of Maria Full of Grace is that these movies, they had a spot. Um, and it was about that sort of drip drop release of like you release it in New York and LA in two theaters and then you wait for it for people to talk about it and you know like we are talking about it now and then maybe you take it to 10-15 markets and then by the time the awards come and the actress is nominated then you sort of put it in more theaters and whatever um, and that's just not mm-hmm. done anymore and if they are done it will be something like Tar um, which has a big established star who would think will yeah. not need that sort of special handling. But apparently nowadays yeah. they do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, which really sucks, honestly. Yeah, it really Because you're suck. not going to make new stars like that, yeah. I don't think. Sydney Sweeney is like the closest you're going to get, really. Yeah, and that's why I think if this was, you know, maybe even, you know, 15, 10 years ago, this would have definitely been a full release. It would have been something like, you know, Fox Searchlight or Sony Pictures Classics or whatever, somebody like that, mm-hmm. who would invest in that Best Actress nomination and will try and get it. And and usually they do happen. Um, they Sometimes, you know, if you have a Julianne Moore or a Glenn Close, it's probably more likely to happen. But if it happened for, you know... Like, you know, uh, Hilary Swank, for instance, was an unknown when Boys Don't Cry came out. And that was yeah. also was on the strengths of that performance and that story um, that that movie made it to the Oscars. Yeah, agreed. But so obviously I don't think this this won't have like a box office trail in in any way i don't think no. but something that came out recently that i know you had a couple of thoughts about and i want to make sure we uh get to talk about that here um Bo is afraid was pretty successful i think i didn't look up the numbers but it seemed like everyone i know saw it except for me <laughs> um so i was wondering if you wanted to share some thoughts yeah i mean Bo is afraid I also haven't checked the box office numbers but just by the chatter about it i think it was successful in that it got people talking about it and about Joaquin Phoenix and of course Ari Aster is developing this sort of mm-hmm. cult um, reputation he's somebody who people feel really passionate for him and against him um, mm-hmm. and I sort of was the against person for Ari Aster until Bo is afraid the funny thing which is the funny thing is that a lot of people maybe like from what I read anyway, they like this less than his other movies. I really enjoyed Hereditary. I love Tony Collette, but I did not like the sort of the Paimon, the, the whatever, twist. the twist of it yeah. all. I was just like, oh, just let me go. I don't like it. And I detested. <laughs> you just want to see Tony yelling. <laughs> yes, that's all I want. 
Um, and I detested his second movie, the the one that was in, well, I don't even remember what it was called. The one that was in Scandinavia with um, Florence Pugh. But this one, I enjoyed it. And it's sort of like three distinct stories. Like the first story is Joaquin Phoenix, who's this, uh, who's Bo, who's sort of like, um, has like a crisis in his life. Um, the place he lives in, he's like haunted by things and you don't know if these things are real or just in his imagination. And then there's a story where he goes somewhere else, even more unsettling, and there's Nathan Lane there. And then this third story is him and his mom. And basically, you know, it's like an Oedipus thing with um, Patty Lupone as the mother. Um, I really love the first part the Joaquin on his own being haunted by his neighbors and by his apartment. And I really loved when Patti LuPone appeared at the end, especially that that part of the movie also has Parker Posey, um, who plays sort of like his mm-hmm. childhood friend um, who appears out of nowhere. And then the second part of it, I just thought it was a slog. There is Amy Ryan, there's Nathan Lane. He goes, watches- Good cast. It's a good cast, totally. He goes, watches some play or whatever. I don't know what's going on. I was just like, let me get out of here. But I thought it was really, really funny for a movie that is about an ex- someone existential crisis. I thought it was really funny. Um, and just the mother-son dynamic is so brilliantly on the nose, so on the nose funny and just so like recognizable as... I think anybody would sort of who ever had a touchy relationship with either of their parents would recognize sort of like the back and forth passive aggressive relationship that you can have with a parent who's trying to guilt you into doing something or you're trying to guilt them into doing something. And Patty Lapone is just Mm -hmm. out of this world. Once she, she appears at the beginning on the phone and even on the phone, it's just like, I know this woman and she is. It's Patty. It's Patty. Yes. Uh, But I also know the character. And then when she appears at the end and she's just pushing Joaquin back and forth and pushing all his buttons, it's just so good. Um, And and that's why I enjoyed this film. I I think it's too long for what it is. You know, I never try to say I'm not one of those, you know, running time fascists or like 90 minutes or I'm not watching, you know, a movie can be. Although hours. reality is a cool one minute, 22 or one hour, or 22 minutes for those yes. of you who are running time fascists. Yes. So you can watch reality yeah. maybe and not Bo is afraid. But I just thought <laughs> for once I would get off my soapbox. My soapbox is a movie is good or bad and has nothing to do with the running time. I think this one, maybe I just would have cut a little bit of that second part because you have to mm-hmm. wait along for Patty LuPone to appear and she is the best thing about it. But, you know, Joaquin is such a great actor. I'm always like, Joaquin is one of those actors who um, I never think of. But every time I see him, I'm just like surprised by how good yeah. he can be and how he like really commits. And I don't know if it's hard work or it's not hard work, but it looks like it's hard work because this is this is a man in such crisis and his face and his body. You can see it in everything. And obviously the makeup helps because, you know, he let his body go and he's his hair is all gray and stringy and all of that. So the f- he is aided by those artists, but it's just his face registers it all. And from so yeah, if you like Joaquin, go see it. And definitely if you're a diva and like divas, you don't want to miss Patty Lupone's best on-screen performance ever. I think I can say that because she's not known for, oh, wow. for wow. film performances. <laughs> um yeah, I feel like my bias 
about Joker has completely consumed everything I feel about Joaquin uh, Phoenix, which isn't fair at all. Like yeah. obviously the master many films that he's been in that I'm just like, oh, yeah, you're very well, good. Um, he's doing another Joker, but they just announced that he's going to star in Todd Haynes next movie, which is supposedly yes. a, gay, a gay romance. So I, I think he's going to win you. And back. listen, I trust him is the thing. I like, I agree with you. I always think he's very, very good. But then every time I hear him, I'm like, oh, just because of Joker, which isn't fair. I shouldn't be doing that. I need to check myself. Yes. Yes. But also now I need to be a fan of Joker because of Lady Gaga. So oh, yeah. that's where I'm at. It's going to be the, the <laughs> to Joker. Force mu- myself. <laughs> the Joker musical. That will win you back. Um. Yeah. Do, well, it, it will certainly get me in a theater. I don't know if it'll win me back. <laughs> it'll. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe it will make you hit play on maps <laughs> when the movie comes. Yes. <laughs> but we've come to the part of our podcast where we send it over to Betty Davis. Take it away, Betty. What a dump. Izzy, what's your dump for this week? My dump is the NSA, <laughs> which I'm just thinking about because of reality, obviously. Yes. Um, yeah, that whole situation is super. No, my my dump is Tucker Carlson for saying or whoever that guy was at the end who was like, oh, she hates America. Yeah. And I think it was him. All of the the guys that were attacking her for having done this. I think it's deeply unfair. Um. You know, I don't know the extent to which that intelligence compromised people or got people in trouble, but it certainly helped our political discourse move forward and made us more aware of what was happening in our country. So I'm thankful for that. So um, screw those guys for saying those nasty things about her. That's my dump. What's your dump? I wholeheartedly agree with yours. I'm going to go a little bit more frivolous in my dump this week. Um... And since we're talking about HBO, about Max, um, it was just announced that Kim Cattrall is going to come back to <laughs> Sex and the City, or as it's yep. uh, as the new show is called, and just like that, for a five-minute cameo on a phone call. Um, I just want to dump on the, the breaking of that news um, and the reaction to it. Um, you know, keep some surprises. Um, I think it was explained too much that what, her actual role in the theater, uh, her actual role in the show will be uh, to the minutest detail. Like it's going to be five minutes. It's appearing in the last show. This is what she's going to do. Too much information. Um, And then just the reaction to it. Like people are kind of taking sides. um, And most of them Mm -hmm. seem to take the side of Kim Cattrall against the other three. And I'm just like, we don't know anything about what happened. Let's not take sides. And also, if there is a side to be taken... That's very mature of you. I'm going to be less mature with the next part of my dump, which is, if there is a side to be taken, I'm taking the side of the people who are working on the show. SJP and Kristen Davis and Cynthia Nixon. If there is a side to be taken, they're the ones who continue to work, who gave us a new show that I like, even though nobody else likes. (laughs) And so... I am taking their side. And Kim Cattrall, why are you making all this drama? Why are you coming back? If you're just coming back for I five minutes. I think I'm minutes? team Kim, though. <laughs> I think I'm team Kim. 
So we yeah. can argue about it, but yeah. I, I'm, I don't even watch this show, so I don't really feel like I should have an opinion. Yeah. But uh, anyway. I get it. I get wanting to move on, you know, all of that, but I am, I am um, obsessed with like, do you remember in the good wife? Did you uh-huh. ever watch the good wife? Um, yeah, when, you did watch the good wife. Yes. When Juliana Margulies and Archie Punjabi allegedly had some kind of feud that uh-huh. led to them not being able to shoot together. And there's like a whole scene where they're at the bar together, but they were not filming together. Yes. And it's like one of the biggest mysteries because nobody knows what this feud was about and like why it was so intense. And everybody just wants to know what, how this film ha- or how this scene happened and all of that kind of stuff. I was like, Oh my God, this is the next thing. This is the next one. Yeah. Yeah. The Kim control not being in a room with everybody else, but like having to be on the show kind of. Yes, I know. And it's getting it's it, so funny. I think the one good thing is that maybe it will get people excited about the show. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe people will just love the gossip just like they do with Sydney Sweeney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do. I do think that's it. Yeah. Or at the very least, people will just be excited on Twitter and just like passing the scene around and that's it and not watching the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm looking forward to the show. Um, I'm looking forward to watching all four of them, including the Kim Cattrall cameo. <laughs> exactly. Also, the way that my... I thought. I thought when you said the people working on the show, I thought you're going to be like, I feel bad for the crew who has to set up a whole different... <laughs> you know lighting setup and a whole other scene just for Kim to like not be in the same room with them <laughs> and I was like yeah power to the workers but pa- you were like no SJP <laughs> you, you know power to the workers too uh, of <laughs> course you know and solidarity with the WGA and all of that <laughs> yes we're, we're still on speaking strike. of Sydney Sweeney Sydney Sweeney voting yes on the strike authorization <laughs> that's what we're looking for Yes. Um, and if you're a SAG member, vote yes on the strike authorization. Um, and since that's a sober note, um, let's move on to a more sober note before we end our um, show for today. Um, as most of you know, I'm from Sudan. And on April 15th, um, a conflict broke out. Some people are calling it a civil war. Um, I don't like that term because it's basically a war between two militias and people are caught in the middle. Nobody likes either of those men. Nobody that I know or who's Sudani or lives in Sudan likes either of those men or is on the side of either of those men. So people are just caught in the middle. My family's safe. They managed to leave Sudan. They're in Egypt now. So everything is is fine personally, um, um, as far as everybody I know and care about. But I also care about Khartoum, uh, the place I was born in and lived in um, for a long time and care about the people who are still are suffering there. Um, there is no access to uh, medicine or hospitals, even food. It's very hard. So if you listen to this show and like what we do, um, I would like to ask you for a favor. Go to eyesonsudan.net slash donate. And there you will find several um, vetted places where you can donate to help the people who are suffering in Sudan right now. Um, you can donate to um, the Sudanese American Physicians Association to some um, other organizations that are supporting the um, the people of Sudan right now. Um, keep eyes on Sudan slash donate. All of those organizations on that page are vetted by people um, I trust and know. Um, 
people, um, Sudanese people who live in the diaspora were all over the world, um, but mostly in, in America and the United Kingdom. So everything there is vetted. So please go help. Eyesonsudan.net slash donate. Very good. And we'll keep those links in the description of the episode as well. Yes. Um, and now um, I think that's all we have for this week. Um, Izzy, before we go, let that's our listeners all. know where they can find you and your work. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Be Kind Rewind and Twitter, BK Rewind, Instagram, BK underscore Rewind. And of course, the show, I Am Picture Show at, on both Twitter and Instagram. Yes. And I am on Twitter at ME underscore says and Instagram at Mortada underscore E. And you can read my writing in Variety and the AV Club. And um, until next time, thank you for listening. Walk. Yeah.